Welcome to Between the Vines. My name is Kevin Martin. I'm here with Jennifer Phillips Russo. This uh, program is brought to you by the Lake Erie Regional Great Program, Penn State University and Cornell University. Uh, we wanted to provide you with a weekly update this week, a little bit more general than some of our other updates, although we've been doing this here and there throughout the growing season because a lot goes on. And this is sort of the last, I think, kind of push for our Concord growers. Uh, and also even the early wine grape growers, we are starting to see, you know, very early signs of verasion in some of the wine grape varieties and our Concord growers will probably be putting away their sprayers in the next couple of weeks. So we have a little bit of more, a little bit more intensive management to our season and that's, that's about it until harvest. And obviously some of the later wine grape varieties, they'll be going a little bit longer with their management strategies. Um, Jen, uh, before I get r rolling, um, I didn't know if there's anything you wanted to introduce. I, like I said, we're going to cover a, a bunch of things today. So, uh, yeah, no, you're, we're just going to be a hodgepodge of things to discuss. We were going to talk a little bit about the Concord fresh berry weight. Dr. Terry Bates and his team monitor that weekly. And then we do it as a historical average and where we are sort of ranked throughout the years. Previously this year, we had been running below the historical average of the Concord fresh berry weight, but we had that rain, that lovely rain that we've needed and everybody has been doing their superstitious dances for. And it is now caught up. It's caught up to what the 22 year average is. And we still predicted it to be possibly 5% smaller than in previous years, like than last year, sorry, not previous year than last year. But um, at least we've caught up to the average and they are not going to be smaller than that. So. Well, like at least that's what we're on pace for, right? Right. Unless it completely right. dehydrates and we get zero rain. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, there was some discussion at the coffee pot this week about what that means in the future. And I think today was a really good example of, you know, there's probably so somewhere there's a ceiling on berry weight, right? Like instead of just having six gram berries this year because they were a little bit smaller than average 30 days post bloom at some point we're going to have issues with splitting if we get too much rain which certainly probably has not occurred yet by any stretch of the imagination but but i say it's a good example for today because you and i are in two different locations today and it, it was like you know who wins the rain lottery or, or loses the rain lottery depending on your perspective i think you lost today we got well yeah right or did i win right and <laughs> yeah. that's sort of what i mean is so you're in you're at Clarel, right i am and um they were at field capacity just about before this this rainfall at least at where our sensor is located and you can see that at nua.cornell.edu if you look at the portland lergp west station that's the onset station, which is able to have a soil moisture sensor. So you can follow that. You won't see that in most of our weather data because most of the, I don't think any of our other sensors actually have that sensor, even the onset ones. Um, but you can see we're at field capacity and then I think you got a half an inch of rain. So um, it was very, very uh, different. So I didn't get any rain. Uh, the sidewalks got a little bit wet here at my home. Um, Chris Ornolano's weather station on Route 5, that got an inch and a half. And a lot of the other stations got between two tenths and, and an inch. So when you're looking at it, I am not looking at the new website right now. Mm -hmm. That's just from this morning. That's just from this morning. Not right. all day long. We're still 
rest of the day to go yet. Okay. Right. Although I don't see any, I haven't seen any sign of rain, but like at least where I'm located since that early morning rain. Um, but yeah, obviously it's been all over the place. So for others, it may, it may vary. We've been trying to seed our cover crop, our floor management trial and gray, heavy clouds. Oh, they've gone away. No, they're back. It's been hit or miss. Run in and out, run back in. Stop seeding, run back in. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so yeah, I mean, I think what that means is it, there are going to be some issues potentially with berry splitting if this pattern continues, but at the very least, we're in a good shape for a while for soil moisture. So if it doesn't rain too much, it's going to be very unlikely at this point that drought becomes an issue, especially in some of our heavier soil or deep, heavier soils that are well-drained and healthy. That's probably your best bet, but maybe not your best bet if the rain continues. You can set up an account on nua.cornell.edu. Type in your zip code if you haven't already, which I think most of you do, but there is the weather tools and then the crop and IPM tools, which Kevin, I know you want to talk about this moving forward. There is a um, the great berry moth model. Yeah, we were we were going to talk about that because I'm getting a little bit of skepticism from some growers, um, and I I think what it boils down to, and I guess it doesn't matter why people are skeptical, but 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 if it helps you understand how this model works, we'll get into a little uh, we'll get into it a little bit. So it's uh, July twenty eighth. And uh, berry moth was, I think, slightly early. The second, certainly wild grape bloom was early. So the first generation was early. The second generation was a little bit early. And um, so I think the anticipation would be that the third generation would be early, but, and, and I'm not exactly sure because I haven't combed over the data very closely, but I think the cooler nights we had in July and maybe even some of the cooler daytime temperatures, which you might not believe because the last week was ridiculously hot, but there were days before that last week that also existed. Um, we're actually the different, the distance in calendar days between that second and third generation is a lot longer than what we're used to. So in Portland, New York, we really don't even want to start scouting for berry moth until at least tomorrow uh, so that's not that's not spraying for berry moth that's not managing it that's literally just scouting and what you want to do then is figure out how much you have and and the old threshold was or is because we don't actually have a new threshold but it is 15 percent of cluster damage and, and one sting on a cluster is cluster damage so two stings on a cluster is cluster damage um, and so you want to look at, you know, a hundred clusters and see if you have 15 damaged clusters. And you actually want to look at, you know, more than a hundred clusters because that, that would be considered a sample. If you're looking at less than that, obviously you're less confident in your estimate of how much is damaged. But the other side of that is even if you are confident in your damage, I think it's also important to note what you anticipate your harvest date being. And this might seem strange, but it, all of the things we talk about sort of connect. And even though it's berry moth, they, they connect in this in this issue uh, because we need to know what you think your bricks are going to be at harvest before we really decide how you should manage your berry moth. And the reason we need to know that is what we saw in that late season Niagara trial is that as soon as you hit 15 bricks, 
secondary rots become a real concern. Um, so if secondary, secondary rots are a concern, this would be elevated by the fact that there could still be an extra generation depending on where you're located. Um, we won't really know for sure until like August 3rd, because if they, if they hatch before August 5th, that's going to be an extra generation. So that's going to be extra pressure. That will be extra disease and decay throughout harvest if harvest is later, uh, if bricks are above 15. And so we really need to know when you're harvesting. And, you know, a lot of times I start talking about, about this threshold and people say, yeah, you know, I'm not worried about it. And, you know, come to find out they're typically used to harvesting green concords. It's less of a big deal, which is why it was never a big deal in Niagara's. We were harvesting Niagara's fairly green, 10, 11, 12 bricks. And, you know, before that extra generation really sort of reared its ugly head and did all the, the damage it, it tends to do. And so in that instance, it wasn't a big problem. And it is with Concords. The idea with that threshold really just means you are controlling barium moth enough so that if they find it, your load won't get rejected. Uh, it does not take into account crop loss or secondary rots that reduce berry weight. And we know all, all of those things occur, but they do occur to varying degrees based on whether or not there's an extra generation and when you harvest. So it, it's very, very severe if you're harvesting in the later part of October, for sure. So definitely utilize that model. Yeah, use the model. Make sure you're putting your spray on timely if you need your spray. But, you know, at the moment, we're, we're really just focused on scouting. It looks like a lot of sites won't have that extra generation, but not necessarily all. And, and then just be really aware of what your harvest date may or may not be. I've heard of some growers in Northeast Pennsylvania that have done some thinning. I've heard of some growers that only didn't do thinning because they think their crop is variable enough that they can field blend it. Uh, and this is all sort of Pennsylvania stuff. And then on the New York side where a lot of stuff was heavily overcropped, they are thinking that they're gonna reach 15 bricks very, very early. Um, so I would actually be more concerned in this instance with, um, the things that we're going to reach 15 bricks early. So whether that's the stuff you're planning on field blending with your sour stuff or all of the New York acreage and really not on, not having a very good idea of the precise day that processors are going to open. Now, if you know your market, we know that certain processors open before others. And that can, you know, if you know that ahead of time, you can adjust your management strategy accordingly. Hopefully you've all done your crop estimation so you can get out, you know, where your sugars may be or where you may be harvesting early. Right. Yeah. It's just one more reason to do that. If you still, it's not too late to do that. If you haven't done it, we do have on our website, the crop estimation guide and also sort of a protocol that walks you through it and talks you how talks you through how to use that table for estimation. You're just going to pick the days after bloom that you have and if you have problems with that or questions, give us a call and we can help walk you through it. Do you know how many days after bloom we are? I knew you were going to ask me as soon as I said that. And I was trying to look around at my calendar really quick. <laughs> we can just have like an awkward silence when you do the math because at Clarel, it was June 8th. Is that right? Yep. So July 8th would be 30 days. I don't even, wait, I have this right So here. 50 days. 50 days today. Yeah, I just pulled it up. Um, yeah, so we are well within crop estimation season. If you do need to get your harvester ready to thin, you're, you're really operating on borrowed time. Yeah. Uh, the purpose of thinning typically 
is really most of it, especially if you have crop insurance, most of the economic value of thinning is to increase your potential crop for next year. And as we get to verasion, once verasion happens, you're not really going to infect. You want to uh, sort of finish my thought, but well, I was going to say, and the historical verasion for our area, Portland, is August twenty second. You're really not going to affect the the vine growth and the partition at that point in time. So you want to get it off before then. And so it should, and that should be at least a week early this year. I would think, right? It should be at least a week early, but there are times where we slow down and sometimes we just don't follow that. Like last year, we were supposed to be a certain time and we were, we lost two days, I believe. So, right. I think the most we've ever lost since Terry started tracking it was three days. And so if we lost three days, it would be um, around the 20th, I think. So it would still be a couple days early. And if we gain three days, it would be like the 15th. Um, we've had sort of a mixed bag of weather. So I would think you would need Terry's model that he's been working on to really get a better estimate uh, because it, you know, it was very, very dry. That should have been predictive of it being us gaining a day or two or even okay. three, but now it, it's, it's been wet and a little enough cooling. that it's a little bit unknown. Maybe we're, yeah. And I have had growers sending in pictures of other varieties, early ripening varieties that are starting to show color. Right. And those probably, I mean, from what I heard, some of them actually started showing color before we even got at least most of this rain, not necessarily all of it. So they wouldn't have been delayed by this rain because they were already showing color. I don't know that they've reached Verasian yet. Nothing I've seen. No. I don't know. Yeah. I've seen a berry here and there in the pictures that have come through. So. Right. And what are we looking for? Like, is there a percentage? Is it 50%? 50%. Yeah. Sorry. Cut me off guard. My head is in plant seeding for cover crop experiments. <laughs> and we could talk about that. I mean, we were really kind of questioning how cover cropping was going to go this year. And as expected, or what we know is that that can turn around really quickly. We don't need, you know, soil to be at field capacity to get yeah. buckwheat to germinate, right? We just need a little bit. And so but we've was, gotten that. Because it was so dry, I was very concerned. So as soon as the rain started hitting, I was like, okay, it's go time. We've got moisture. Let's get it down on the ground. <laughs> Do you want me to tell them, talk a little bit about the experiment that we're running and why? Yes, go ahead. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we have been, because of the way that our climate has been going and the fact that we don't irrigate, in our concords we're really wanting to find out is there a way to better manage water and nutrient conservation especially during the time of rapid shoot growth when the vine needs it the most and also is there a way to sort of bring ipm into this and reduce the use of glyphosate or glufosinate and reduce the incidence of weeds if we can do that with cover cropping we were awarded some money by the new york farm viability and for two years, we're going to study it. We're duplicating efforts on gravel and on heavy clay, the exact same experiment to see whether it's going to have detrimental effects or helpful effects to the vine. We're looking at a multiple species cover crop, two single species cover crop, and then native vegetation. Our two single ones, one is going to be a simple white clover 
to have something on the ground at all times. Then we're going to also look at cereal rye as a single cover crop. We're really trying to grow for biomass. If we can get a big enough biomass and then lay it down, hopefully it'll hold moisture in the soil, keep that soil moisture a little bit cooler. These are all things we're going to monitor. We're also going to monitor how the vine is in response to having those there. The multi I already mentioned multi-species cover crop. We're gonna terminate it at two separate times. We tell you that you want to decrease that competition two weeks before bloom and up to four weeks after. So one of the termination dates will be based on two weeks before bloom of the average bloom date that we have. The other time that we're going to terminate will be due to soil moisture or soil avail moisture availability. We're terminating it by three separate ways. <laughs> one is an herbicide burn down. One will just be mowing it and the other one will be roll crimping it. So hopefully we have all of the situations around the belt covered somewhere in one of those treatments and can be able to maybe give a little standard operating procedure on how to do cover crops or floor management for all of those previously mentioned things that we're looking at. <laughs> so what do you do in an instance where um so you've got these these sort of hard i assume hard deadlines of when you're going to terminate either calendar based or soil moisture based mm -hmm. um, if they don't align up with crimp rolling how do you work that in as a management strategy i guess we're going to kind of find out that's what i'm anticipating so we're going to try it anyways and if it doesn't terminate because it's not it's too early to terminate something like a cereal rye right then mm -hmm. we'll probably have to go through because i don't want to end up killing the vines i mean we're going to try to give a different a bit of a strategy to people if that happens is follow up with some herbicide okay all right um one thing i did want to add uh, we touched on that table which you can find at lergp.com uh, and it's under the crop estimation table under cultural practices and crop estimation but uh, more importantly just for purposes of today we so at 50 days after bloom we're at 65 63 65% berry weight uh, so we are we're very close to just berry weight accumulating fairly slowly at this point other than the sort of blips in the data you see because of some extra rainfall um, but but again, the best forecast we would have if you measure it now is that's going to be that's going to be at 65% of berry weight, and, and so it really won't move that much. We'll get to verasion, and it'll be 75% of berry weight. So it it's not like at 30 days post bloom where you know it's moving at one percent a day or more. Um, the the only other thing I have, so we, we did touch on scouting for berry moth. Uh, we are seeing, uh, this, this is kind of a weird time to be updating because I don't know how much it matters to growers, but the price prices of things important to grape growers continues to evolve somewhat in a volatile way, just like across the rest of the economy. Uh, and it's not always an upward traje tra trajectory or you know, it's not always rising quickly. So we're sort of seeing a mixed bag of where things are moving and they're moving fairly quickly. Um, but, and I say, is that truly relevant to growers now? I think it's more relevant to, you know, if they're thinking about business planning or, or um, changing how they operate in terms of planning, that's where they wanna pay attention to prices now. Cause I don't think growers are buying a lot of stuff now. 
Um, maybe they're buying their cover crop seed, but they probably already did. They already bought all their spray material. You know, there's not a lot happening now in terms of costs and purchasing, but we are seeing um, sort of a, some, a small decline in fungicide prices, mostly related to chemistries getting a little bit more mature or having a little bit of distance from their research and development phase. So prices tend to fall a little bit. Uh, the very small buy buyers may actually see an opposite trend. You know, if you're purchasing very small quantities, a lot of people may have to handle it so that the, the labor cost involved is offsetting that savings in the material. Uh, so at the local retail level where you know, a lot of hands have had to touch a very small amount. You may not see a decline. And even our largest growers aren't seeing huge declines because some of that savings is being offset by trucking costs as well. Uh, fertilizer prices are declining. It's not to the scale or speed that we saw them increasing, but it is fairly uniform and universal over the last, say, month and a half. It's been pretty steady, steadily and slowly declining. Um, and, and when I say uniform, I mean across just about all forms of fertilizer with the exception of some of the liquids. So pretty much everything we use in grapes widely, there's been at least some decline. Now growers may not see that because mm -hmm. right now we've declined to pretty much early springtime pricing. So when they bought it, it's probably about the same as when they bought it. If they bought early, it's more expensive than the last time they bought. If they bought late, it is cheaper now. Uh, but I think it's just important to note because it, it does seem to be a fairly established trend, despite, say, you know, some of the other factors working against low fertilizer prices. We have we continue to have fairly high energy prices. We continue to have, um, you know, a war in Europe. We also have very high commodity prices. So so some of this decline in price is a little bit unexpected. So. If any of those other factors resolve themselves, we will see a decline in prices for next year. So there is that potential. Um, the, the other thing would be fuel prices. On the national level, fuel prices have sort of followed fertilizer prices, at least in a pattern of the prices have been steadily declining over the past month and very consistently from week to week. And that has not been the case for on-farm or off-road fuel. That's been a lot more volatile. It's down much more significantly. I think there were some local supply chain constraints. So instead of a 10% decline over a month, we saw something like a 20 or 25% decline over a couple of weeks. Um, but it all sort of washed out in the end. The, the high prices for local diesel off-road were extremely high and not really commensurate with the rest of the market. So I think there was a local supply chain issue. It has been resolved and our our off-road prices locally look more like in line with national prices. So so that's good news for harvest. You know, growers use fuel, a lot of fuel during harvest, probably half the fuel they use is used for harvest. So that should work out. I do want I don't want to stop your flow. <clears throat> Excuse oh, no, me. No. I just wanted to sort of remind people if you haven't seen it through other channels that we get our information out through. We did cancel our summer demonstration day that was scheduled for August 2nd. 
We are also in the works of redoing or rescheduling one at the end of August. On August 31st is sort of an impromptu informal open house to do a walkthrough. Listen to Dr. Terry Bates and I talk about the research that's going on here. And then hopefully we'll have a lunch at the end of it. It's just a shorter day, but you are more than welcome to join us that day on August 31st from nine until about one o'clock. Excellent. Um, yeah, I was gonna make sure we, I, I forgot we should probably re-announce the cancellation, but I did wanna make sure we covered the, the new event on August 31st. Um, I think that's actually all we have for this week, unless you have something else, Jen. I don't. Okay. Um, I think Jen's going to run back out to the field and start <laughs> with some of the cover crop plantings. And hopefully you guys are doing the same. It's it's a great day as long as you're in a vineyard that's not too muddy to be planting cover crops. And if not today, hopefully tomorrow, since we do have that soil moisture. Uh, if there, And if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out. We'd love to cover them on the, on the podcast or, or answer them directly. And we will we will be back next week. Thanks a lot. Have a great week, everyone.